0: And uh, we will read now from Daniel chapter 4. Our scripture readings this morning, are John, our readers are John, James, and Jane, and we welcome them.
1: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Daniel chapter 4. This can be found on page 1376 in your pew Bibles.
2: King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nation, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures, from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it formally for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and told me the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, king of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw when, while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the vision, I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, "'Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. "'Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. "'Let the animals flee from under it "'and the birds from its branches. "'But let the stump and its roots, "'bound with iron and bronze, "'remain in the ground in the grass of the field. "'Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. "'Let let him live with the animals "'among the plants of the earth.'" Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar had. Now, Belteshazzar, Tell me what it means, for none of my wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you.
1: Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said,
2: Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you.
1: Belteshazzar answered,
3: My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O King, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, the holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze and the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue.
1: All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird.
2: At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. And I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble.
1: The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God.
0: That's a lot of text for us to take in uh, this morning. So I invite you to keep your Bibles open. You may want to just refer to what's there every now and then and kind of remind yourself of, of what we just read. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I'm guessing that by now you've heard of the the name change that Facebook is, uh, is going through, changing from Facebook to meta in reference to the metaverse uh, that Mark Zuckerberg is creating. What a metaverse is exactly is a little hard to describe. It's kind of a, an alternate universe, from what I understand. It's said to be like actually living in the internet. Um, If you've ever seen the film The Matrix, that seems to be the ultimate goal. It's a place that that you can go, you can leave your flesh and blood body behind, and uh, you can go into this virtual world, and that's sort of where you live, where you exist, where your mind exists, but your body is sort of left left behind in in this world, this universe. Now, at this point, the metaverse is just more of a concept than it is a reality. But let's just consider that for a moment. If people or or avatars even are going to dwell in this metaverse and they're going to interact with each other in that place, then really that metaverse is going to need some kind of rules, right? It's going to need some system of rules and ethics by which we actually Relate to each other, you know, how how does my avatar? How are how am I expected to treat your avatar and things like that, but who is going to determine? Those rules and those guidelines and that system of ethics who's going to set those rules I Would guess it's going to be Mark Zuckerberg and maybe a few of his friends. I mean if he creates the things or the thing, he probably gets to set the rules, right? And so what does that make him? Does that make him a king? Does that make him a god? Does that make him something else? Mark Zuckerberg is not the first person to be in in that position, that's actually the position that Nebuchadnezzar is in, in our text. Nebuchadnezzar, as we have said, is, is the great emperor of the world. He's got all sorts of people beneath him. He's got no one above him. He sets the rules. He sets the system of ethics. He does it all. There's no one above him, or, or is there. That's what we're going to take a look at uh, this morning, and we're going to look at three different aspects of this. First of all, the conflict of kingdoms in this world, the humble kingdom, and then the humble king. The conflict of kingdoms, the humble kingdom, and the humble king. Let's begin with the conflict of kingdoms today. When we meet Nebuchadnezzar once again in Daniel 4, he's pretty much reached the point that Mark Zuckerberg can only dream of. Like Yertle the turtle, he is the king of all that he sees. And from his perch on the roof of his castle, Nebuchadnezzar apparently sees a lot. That's what he says in verse 30. Is this not the great Babylon that I have built? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty... That verse gives us a perfect indicator of the character of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is proud. He's filled with pride. Figuratively, Nebuchadnezzar is that great tree of his dream. The tree that actually reaches up and touches the sky. The tree that's so expansive, it provides food and shelter for all the animals of the earth, the birds of the field. All of it. The dream isn't exactly subtle, is it? I mean, when you read about something reaching up to the heavens, you immediately think of another throne room, don't you? And perhaps another king who sits on that throne. And when you consider the one who feeds the ravens and the beasts of the field, doesn't another king come to mind? I mean, at least in this place, don't we think of that as the realm the prerogative of another king? Well, even if not, the text reminds us that yes, there is another king. There is someone who sits even above Nebuchadnezzar. If you read through the text again later today, just note how often it declares God to be the most high. That's the title that's used here over and over and over again. The most high, the most high. The one who is above Nebuchadnezzar, the one who is above all kingdoms and rules all kingdoms. Now, Nebuchadnezzar never meets this Most High in our text. The closest he comes is within his dream. In verse 13, we're told that Nebuchadnezzar is visited by a holy one or a messenger, and translators have, have a difficulty um, translating what that word actually means. It's often translated angel, but the word there is really a watcher, okay? Nebuchadnezzar is, is visited by a watcher. And these watchers seem to be a part of God's system of hierarchy. They keep an eye on God's world. They protect his people. They punish evil. They convey his messages to the world. Nebuchadnezzar is visited by a watcher from heaven. And what we see here is just how high the Most High really is. The Most High has his own subordinates, just like Nebuchadnezzar. Only these subordinates don't scramble around trying to interpret dreams. These subordinates will send you into cardiac arrest. These subordinates are powerful, majestic, and they are part of the hierarchy of God. And their message is contained in verse 17. That the living may know that the Most High is sovereign. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on Earth, and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Now there's four or five sermons right there in that verse, but um, we won't do that this morning. I just want to focus on one thing in particular: The most High is the sovereign over all kingdoms on Earth. And that's where this whole passage is set up for conflict. You see, the message of the watchers is not that there is a God who reigns, who is sovereign over all things. He's not a God who reigns over some mythical kingdom up in the heavens far, far away. He's not even a king or a sovereign over a kingdom that will one day come in the future and last for all eternity. What the watchers tell us is that this most high this sovereign is a king over all the kingdoms on the earth all the kingdoms on the earth he's king over nebuchadnezzar's kingdom he's king over your kingdoms he's king over my kingdoms and all of these kingdoms and all of these kings must conform to his will or he will remove those kingdoms from us. In fact, this is what Nebuchadnezzar's dream announces, all right? This tree, the mighty tree that represents the king will be cut down. Why? Because it is in conflict with the will of God. It's in conflict with the reign of God. If you look at verse 27, it's there that Daniel confronts the king and calls him to repentance, calls him to humble himself, and what does he say? He says, O king, practice righteousness and show mercy to the oppressed. Practice righteousness and show mercy to the oppressed. Why those things? Why is that repentance? Well, it's because those are the things that always characterize the rule of God. As you go through the Old Testament, God holds kings both in Israel and around the world responsible to reign in his stead and always to reign with these characteristics, righteousness and justice and mercy for the oppressed. That's what it means to be a servant of the Most High God. You reign over your realm, yes, but you do it in service to the Most High God. And Nebuchadnezzar was not doing that. Nebuchadnezzar had gone his own way, and Nebuchadnezzar was about to have his kingdom removed from him. You may have noticed this, that this is actually the problem with Nebuchadnezzar's reign when this mighty tree is described to us, right? We're told that all of the animals and the birds of the air, they all find shelter within this tree. They all find food within this tree. But, but what's missing? What's conspicuous by its absence? People. Where do the people of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, where do they find their food? Where do they find life? Where do they find all of their needs supplied? We're told that there's enough in this tree. Nebuchadnezzar has enough for everyone, but we're not told that he distributes it in a just or merciful way. It's an indictment of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And when kings fail to rule their kingdoms as God would, When they fail to acknowledge their own servitude to the Most High, to the great King over all the earth, then there is conflict. And when there is conflict, God says, I will remove your kingdom from you. It's as simple as that. I will not allow your reign to continue. It will end. It cannot go on. And this is what Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, repent. Humble yourself. Acknowledge God as the king. Acknowledge the Most High. Or one day he will simply impose his rule upon you and your kingdom. Now, you can imagine just how many kings and kingdoms come into conflict With the rule and the reign of the Most High. How many kings and kingdoms come into conflict with how the Most High rules? What do we do when we see that clash of kingdoms? What do we do? How do we respond? I mean, all of us have our own kingdoms too, don't we? We have those spheres over which we have influence, right? Maybe it's the house, maybe it's the family, maybe it's the work group, maybe it's your table saw in the basement, or maybe it's the car radio, right? We've sort of got that realm. Who controls the car radio? It's the person in the driver's seat. It's not always accepted by the person in the seat next to the driver's seat. But those are our little realms, right? I reign here, I rule here, I get to call the shots here and nobody else. Some of our kingdoms are big, some of our kingdoms are small, but the important thing is they're ours. This is my place. This is where I rule. Nobody tells me what to do here. Many of you will remember a woman named Rachel Dolezal. Rachel was the head of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. She was also a professor of African Studies at Eastern Washington University. In 2015, she was exposed as a white woman who was claiming to be black. Now you probably remember the story, right? And what's pertinent about her case is that even as, after she was exposed to actually be a white woman, she still firmly insisted that she was black. This is what she said, for me, how I feel is more powerful than how I was born. If somebody asked me how I identify, I identify as black. Nothing about whiteness describes who I am. Now, I understand this is a complicated, multifaceted example, and there are a lot of different ways we could approach it, but at the very least, it's an example of how we can come to see even our own bodies as our own realms. They are this place over which we rule. I am king here. Nobody else on the outside, nobody outside of me can impose on me an identity. Nobody on the outside can define me. I get to define myself. I get to make the rules over this space. And friends, we see this kind of thinking throughout our society today. And this is where we see the pride and the arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar that's in each and every one of us. We believe in our own sovereignty and no other. But the message of the watchers is that the Most High is actually Sovereign. Over every one of our kingdoms over all the kingdoms of the earth so so here's the question friends if that's the world that we live in a world where today we, we sort of all have our own realms and we can't even begin to to really question that kind of thinking and that kind of mindset without being criticized or told to mind our own business, that kind of thing, how do we as God's people even begin to speak into that conflict of kingdoms? How do we tell all sorts of sovereigns in our world that really there's only one true sovereign in the world? How do we do that? Well, let's take a look at the humble kingdom, okay? The humble kingdom. I think the way that you get at this is you begin to ask, okay, this tree that's in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, does that tree only represent Nebuchadnezzar? Is that tree only true about Nebuchadnezzar? I think you would agree that no, the answer really is that tree stands for any proud person, any proud king. How do you think Israel, in captivity in Babylon at this time, how do you think they saw that tree? Do you think they saw it as any kind of reflection of themselves? You know, we we read a number of things this morning in our baptism text, a number of things about the church. It says that the church is actually created by God to be a light. They will light the path home for all of humanity, okay? They would bless all of the families of the world. That's the calling that that Israel was given. All the children of Abraham were given in Genesis chapter 12, where God says, Abraham, it's through you and your descendants that I will bless all the nations of the world. Israel wasn't doing a very good job of that. The way that Israel was intended to do that was to reign within her realm, to have kings who reigned within that realm, who really reigned in the stead of the Most High. And so they communicated the reign of God to all the people of the kingdom. And they were supposed to, in that way, be a kingdom, a showpiece for the rest of the world of how the reign of God is actually good and hopeful and wonderful and fulfilling and peaceful. This is where shalom comes from, from the reign of God. Israel was supposed to model that for the rest of the world. But she didn't. In her pride, she went her own way. She did her own thing. She worshipped other gods. And the kingdom of israel became just as big a mess as every other kingdom around her and what happened what happened to that once proud growing living blossoming tree god cut it down and he sent it into captivity in babylon and he said look if you can't handle The kingdom that I gave you, if you can't run it the way I instructed you to run it, then you can't have it. And I will take it away. And you can live like animals in the field. That's the position that we find Israel in our text. That's the position that they are in, in Babylon. They are a people who have been what? Humbled. Humbled. How do you think Daniel comes off to those people in this text? When the first readers read this story of Daniel, what do you think they saw? Do you think they saw a model of how God intended them to be, how God intended Israel to be a mediator? to the rest of the world. If you look at, look at Daniel's approach to King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 19, I mean, Daniel is appalled at the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He's shocked when he understands what it means, that it means the downfall of Nebuchadnezzar. He feels sad for Nebuchadnezzar. His thoughts terrify him, not for himself, but for Nebuchadnezzar. He fears for the king and for the life of the king. Nevertheless, in verses 22 to 26, what do we read? You read that in spite of that, okay, in spite of that, Daniel lays out the truth for the king. He gives him the truth of the dream without sugarcoating anything. And, and in Daniel, friends, you have this perfect balance, right? Right? this perfect balance of approaching the world, of approaching your captors, there's this love-driven sadness that cringes to speak the hard word of God, that your kingdom must fall. And yet there's a God-honoring obedience that speaks that truth anyway. A love-driven sadness but a God-honoring obedience. You don't learn that naturally, friends. It doesn't come naturally to us. That only comes when we are humbled. Daniel was one of the people of Israel in exile. He was humbled. He was, he was one of those trees, cut down, nothing left. And it was in that position that he knew exactly how to approach Nebuchadnezzar. It was in that position that he knew exactly how to go to this king and say there's one who is higher than you. Now you and I in the Church of Jesus Christ were in that exact same position as Daniel and as the people of Israel. And we have a message that dearly, dearly needs to be heard by a world of sovereigns that's all around us. Do we have any confidence that we can share that same message in the right way, in an appropriate way? Any confidence? Well, there's no confidence in ourselves, friends, because we are just as prone to pride as Nebuchadnezzar, as Israel, as anyone, as any sinner that walked the earth. And yet there is hope. Why? Because of these waters of baptism. You don't become a part of God's people in Jesus Christ until you go through these waters. And what do these waters represent? They represent death. Every one of us who has been baptized has had to die with Jesus Christ. We've had to give up our own kingdoms. We've had to say, I can't do this the way God wants me to do it. I mean, this, friends, is the meaning of the gospel. We have to set our pride aside. We have to set our own wills aside, our own desires aside our own thinking about what's right and wrong, all of that, we have to put it to death so that Jesus Christ can come to life within us. It's through the waters of baptism that a humble kingdom is created. And it's this humble people that knows how to approach a world that's hurting, That's the humble kingdom. Let's look for a moment at the humble king. Friends, there's a reason that people have formed their own kingdoms in this world. There's a reason that I claim to be king over my own body, over myself, and nobody else has a say. There's a reason for that. People are wary of those who claim to be kings. people who want to rule. We're afraid of people like that. And rightfully so. I mean, tell me, do you really want to be a citizen of, of the metaverse? I mean, when all we've heard lately is is sort of the ethics of how Facebook and Instagram work, right? All the algorithms that that pick out the little areas of conflict that that they can find between us and the rest of our friends and family, and they throw those at us constantly and so that we'll continue to engage. Conflict keeps us engaged, even though it creates more and more strife. Is that really the kind of kingdom that you want to live in? Is that really the group that you want building your system of ethics? There's a reason that people want to be their own gods, want to be their own kings, want to reign over their own lives. it's often because the kings and the kingdoms around us have hurt us and exploited us and excluded us. And so, friends, this is where we need to be real clear. This is where we need to understand that as God's people... As God's people, we, you and I, are still very much servants. We don't do things our own way. We don't approach the world as vigilantes. We don't say, I think this is best. This is how I'm going to do it. We recognize that we are servants of the great king, that we are under-shepherds of the great shepherd. We serve a king who dictates how we address the world. The choice is not ours. We don't sh- address the world with shouts and power and violence and sword. We address it with humility. What we learn in that bit baptismal font Listen again to verse 17 and the words of the watchers. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And then this line. And sets over them, sets over all of those kingdoms, the lowliest of men. The word there is the humblest of men. Who was the lowliest of men? Who abandoned himself so profoundly that he communicated the reign of God his Father so perfectly? It was Jesus. And God has placed this Jesus over us. Over us. This humble one is our king. My king. Your king. We bend our knees before him. And it's in his reign the reign of the only one ever to perfectly balance grace and truth, it's as subjects of this king that we approach the world. We are subjects of the humble king. How do we live that way? We relive our baptisms again and again again and again. We stoop down with Hattie this morning, and every morning, we fall before Jesus every day. We acknowledge him as our king, and we let him rule our lives. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, our humble King, forgive us when we do not reflect your humility to the world. Forgive us when, as Nebuchadnezzar and as your people Israel, we too need to be cut down a few notches. Lord, we have experienced death in Jesus Christ. And we have experienced new life in Him. We are priests and kings in your kingdom. As kings in your kingdom, O oh Lord, allow us to perfectly reflect your reign. And may that reign present itself to the world as a picture of hope, a picture of life, a picture of joy. A picture that anyone can be a part of, great or small. As long as we bend our knee to the true king over all the earth. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.